This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Neutrality is the principle that the company that connects you to the internet doesn't get to control what you do on the internet. The ISPs are just much more sophisticated and spend a lot more money, 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 Well, all right. Well, hello, everyone. It's another episode of The Best of the Rest. What episode are we on, Jay? Five? Well, to be technically correct, it's 5B, because we tried an episode 5 that didn't work because of technology didn't cooperate with us. Ah, uh, yes, yes, we'll have to send uh, Martin a box of wine to make up for that night. Yes, maybe two boxes. So. <laughs> but, yes, so we can, talk, we can call this episode 5, but yeah, it's All our right. second run at it. Yeah, but we can persevere, persevere. But we're going to keep the same theme. We're going to we're going to do Lions Forge, or I'm actually looking at it now. It's Lion Forge singular, and then we're right. going to be talking about Ghost Money. And I think it just came out a uh, short time ago, so there's not much history on it. So it's a it's a single issue with an interesting premise, and it's from a small publisher. I think they are headquartered in St. Louis, my backyard. Correct. Lion Forge, yes, is a publisher that's beginning to intrigue me quite a bit. Because, not so much, also partly because of the books they're publishing and the good quality, but I'm curious as to how they're approaching the whole publishing aspect. They have several different imprints that they've got going. Uh, you know, the Lion Forge Catalyst Prime, that's their new superhero shared universe that they're starting that we'll be talking about in a future episode. They've got an imprint called Roar, which I they call it all age comics, but it's really geared more towards young people. And then one called Magnetic Magnetic Collection, which is where Ghost Money falls in. And as best I can tell, it's these are all foreign comics. That are they've licensed to translate or print so, under the Lion Forge. So were they comics in Europe, or were they books or short stories, or? I think most of them were printed as comics, from what I've tell. I haven't researched it extensively. I know, like if you look at the inside cover of Ghost Money, it says first published in France under the original title. in 2007 okay so this appeared a number of years ago uh, in 10 years ago in fact and and lion forge has licensed it and has translated and printed it under their magnetic collection imprint oh so the art's already done so we don't have to worry about the artist falling behind and having to wait months in between issues (laughs) i would hope not unless they're redoing it which i can't imagine they would be. No, no, the art does have a kind of, um, you know, I was about to say European style, but I don't know how I would define that. Uh, but it does have a crispness and a, a type of art that you just don't really see 
uh, I guess, U.S. comics. I agree. It does have a different feel. I know one of the aspects of European comic illustrators, and I think I mentioned this when we talked about uh, No Hero and the artist Juan Jose Ripe, of how detailed he puts things, just how much detail he, he puts into a, his panels. Mm-hmm. And that's a characteristic I know of European illustrators. But I didn't see in this book that it was necessarily that much detail, more so any more than American comics. But the, they're just something – it's kind of esoteric. I really can't put words to it, but it does have that – you know, different feel of a well, of a more European type comic book. Well, for me, it's like all the it's not the characters, but it's like the buildings, the vehicles, everything has um, like curves, and they're smaller, compact. And I know, and in, in my travels in Europe, I've always known the cars are smaller, the uh, flats or houses are smaller, the hotel rooms are smaller. You know, everything's a little bit more compact because we're used to just having large things here in the U.S. And I think that's part of what it is. Because as we get to talking about this issue, you know, some of the technology, you know, it's it's miniaturized or it's compact. Uh, but they don't make any comments about being crowded and it still looks luxurious and everything. And it just, and, and there's just a lot of curves. Right. And I kind of associate that with, you know, European or... And, you know, I say European, but, you know, as we talk about this issue, it, it, it's European and Middle Eastern in, in the locales, and it just seems different than American. Well, that's a good observation. One that I don't have, I've not traveled in Europe, so I, I have no reference point. But I think from what you're saying, it, that's interesting. I will go back and look at that again as I reread this. But we should mention the creators. Oh yes. On this, and I, I, by golly, I did my research. I went out and I found out how to pronounce these names. Um, I've actually found a clip on YouTube of the writer um, at some sort of a conference in France. Uh, the writer is, and this is pronounced Jerry Smolderin. Oh, is it Jerry? Because I would have, I would have Jerry, that. Jerry. It's, it's. Terry. I think it's a, it's sort of a C H, Jerry. Okay. Smoldering. I don't know if it's a the French equivalent of Jerry, but it seems to be a fairly common name, and the their artist is Dominique Bertai, who's a male. Usually, when I say the word Dominique. I associate that as a female name, but this is a male creator. So, yeah, I knew. But yes, uh, I spent time researching this today. So, well, I knew a Terry from Canada, French Canadian from Quebec. So that's why I would have would have thought that that was how was that was pronounced. But I'm good. Well, with I'm it. sure like I'm sure like any proper names, you can pronounce them however you want to. But that's I know that's how he pronounces his name. So. <laughs> So there's our creators, and apparently they did this back in 2007. Yes. So that actually makes a little bit of sense because I believe the first part of the book takes place in the early 2000s after 9-11 in uh, uh, Iraq. 
Right, there are two flashback scenes to open. The first is in 2004 in Fallujah during the Iraqi war. And it's just a two-page scene of a group of Americans that are under fire by Iraqi soldiers. And at the end of that, they, they say that what their purpose was, what their mission is, is try to capture the treasure of Al-Qaeda. And then the second flashback is in Istanbul in 2000. And it's at this point we pick up a narrator for the story who's at first unidentified, at least to this the second flashback. And at this in this flashback, American soldiers in Istanbul are ap- actually apprehend this character called Hassad, who's I'm assuming is the treasurer of Al Qaeda or something because they're trying to get information on him of where he's, uh, but an admission that he engineered some financial dealings based on uh, 9/11, and then they want him to admit to that and then tell them where the money is. Yeah, and and basically the treasure is they did insider trading, knowing that 9/11 was going to occur. So, you know. Basically, Al-Qaeda did the attack on New York and Washington, and they knew this was going to happen, so they did whatever financial stock trades based on the airlines and the businesses that they knew would be affected by it ahead of time so they could take advantage of it. Yes. So it's actually a pretty interesting concept when you think about it like that. It is. It's You wonder you know, how much of that might parallel real life as to what happened. I'm not, I'm not too familiar with the history of 9-11, the Iraqi war. Well, I think a lot of people are familiar with that day and then what the reaction was in the, in the years, but the, the the politics of it, the financial fallout, and everything may not be fully known, known out there. I think more people know about what happened during the financial crisis of like 2009, 2010, than they know what you know, how the finances and the stock market did at that time because, you know, you were focused on other things and that's what plays into this is, yeah, you're, you know, they knew everybody was going to be focused on, on the events and everything like that and maybe the financial stuff could kind of slip through. Yes. So anyway, that's the two setup scenes and then it shifts 20 years later from 2000 to 2020 and that's where the, you know, the, the story starts. The real story starts to take place. Yeah, and it really seems like it could be the near future at that point. And, you know, as we get into the story, I guess that may be the part I missed when reading this. Is I, I was sitting here reading the story and all the technology. And it's like, oh, you know, this seems pretty advanced for three years in the future. But then when you think about it, they wrote it 10 years ago, so it was 13 years in the future. So that that makes actually more sense. Right. So I guess at that point when we pick up with Lindsay, we meet Lindsay. Yes, the main character who is at a protest in London, a group that's protesting against the neoconservatives in the United States. <laughs> it's 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 eerie now, not eerie, but it's interesting of how in comic books 
we're starting to see, especially now with our current president, political stuff really starting to come into comic books, especially things with these ultra conservatives. Well, that's one of the reasons I thought this was like recently written. So, yeah, I thought it was recently written just because of that comment in there and that, you know, and it kind of, you know, now that I know that was 10 years ago, it's like, man, what? He was looking ahead. Yeah, he had some prescient insight on this. <laughs> but anyway, she's at this uh, protest that, and um, some terrorist act takes place, and there's a riot. And she's in danger of being crushed by the mob. And she's literally, literally plucked up by this woman hanging out the window of a building. Yeah, and did you, did you look up how to pronounce her name? Chamza? Chamza, I believe how it is. Yes, I know. Who's a Middle Eastern woman. Actually, if we find out later, she's from Dubai. Yeah, and I will say the art does not fall upon the typical... Um, caricatures of nationalities. Because I didn't realize that was her nationality until you got into the story and you saw where she was going. Yes, they're yeah. They the artist did a good job avoiding stereotypes and you know like their characters, as you said, and portraying these people. Yeah. So I guess um, yeah, she saves Lindsay from the from the crowd, and then. I don't know, they kind of sit there for a while and wait, and it's kind of like, hey, you want to go get something to drink, something to eat? Yes. And and she goes, I kind of know a place. So she goes to a place and finds out it's like the most exclusive club in all of London. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we learned pretty early on that this woman is well-connected and financially um, well-off. And then Lindsay sort of almost immediately gets a crush on Chomsky. And they develop a friendship. In fact, I think their next interaction is uh, Lindsay's out walking in the rain of London, the dreary weather, and Chomsky pulls up in a very nice vehicle and says, you want to go shopping in Dubai? And they, based on, with some very sophisticated aviation technology, just end up in Dubai in just a few minutes. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess you have to kind of describe it. So they're going, they're driving along when she asks, and the next thing you know is the um, car cabin has been put into an aircraft chassis, and they're in the air, and they're going suborbital. Yes, very like three hundred and sixty thousand feet or something like that. Some ridiculous. And what was it? They did London to Dubai in eight, twelve minutes, something or six it, minutes, something. Yeah, it was like sixteen minutes, eighteen minutes. So, you know, there they are. So, you know that Chamza's got uh, quite a bit of wealth to be able to have personal suborbital aircraft and cars that are interchangeable. Right. So then they kind of go shopping and, you know, do that little girl or woman bonding thing. And, um, I don't know, did anything more happen in that encounter or was that later on? 
Or did there was there ever anything? Um, nothing of a real romantic. I mean, they're they're very good friends, and but nothing of a serious romantic nature takes place in this issue. Uh, they they end up going shopping and she takes her back home, and then the next scene is later on where um, Lindsay is picked up and given a full makeover in transit to meet Chamza at a it's a art gallery installation or opening uh, yes. ex- exhibition where they almost immediately are there sw- one of the exhibitions is an actually a, a swimming pool that they're in Oh, yeah, it's uh, art you interact with. Yes, interactive art. and Yeah, you have to get into a swimsuit, and then you kind of dive under it, and you kind of come up into the art. And then Chamsa gets bored, and they end up back in Dubai, and where they meet with... They meet some character who's really not identified early on, who invites them to uh, the desert. And they end up... But I don't understand. They're going to the desert, but the next thing they end up in these looks like high-powered speedboats. Yeah, that gets a little... It gets a little choppy there of... Yeah, they're going to the desert, then they're in speedboats, and it doesn't quite make sense, but, uh, you know, I'm, you know I, I guess where they're at, if they're in Dubai... It's it's on the coast, so I guess the desert can run up to the to the ocean. Right. And that's really where the this first issue ends. It just they're kind of on this transit wherever this wherever they're going. We really don't know the who this person is that has invited them. Uh, so it's 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 Definitely a setup issue. We're starting to set up the story, but we don't get a lot of feel for what. Well, well, do our military contractors come back, pop up there towards the end of the story? I don't have the book in front of me not, right now. Not that I saw. No, they didn't. Okay, I'm thinking. The so military was involved in those first two flashback scenes, and then from there on out, it's the rest of the story is just the development of this friendship between. Chamza and Lindsay. Well, and also establishing that Chamza is very wealthy. Very wealthy, yes. So, since you're talking about the Al-Qaeda treasure at the beginning of the book, and you're now seeing 15 years later this very wealthy, wealthy individual, I wonder if you're, start, you're supposed to be making the connection that maybe this is the wealth being spent? It very well could be. Or, you know... I guess there was that one little bit in, in, the, in the story. Did we want to talk about that when, uh, when they did the last interrogation of the treasure? We can if you like, yes. Okay, so you know, I think they show him being waterboarded. I think he's been being handed around the CIA black ops sites for, what, years and years and years. And they finally get there, and they're talking to him, and he finally admits to that, yes, there is a treasure you know, he's been put under so much stress and everything. And all, and all the black op guys wanted to know was they wanted some kind of verification that it existed. 
So they get through waterboarding him and everything, and he starts to have a heart attack, and you kind of see what he's thinking as he sees the light. He's going to go to the light, and he's like, oh, you know, I feel bad about lying to him. Maybe I need to go back and tell him the truth. And he starts to say something, and then he dies. So now you're, yeah. you're kind of left with, okay, the contractors think there's a treasure. He said there was. But then while he was dying, in his inner monologue, he's like, oh, I lied about the treasure. And now we skip ahead, and now there's this very wealthy woman. So you can kind of see now where the conflict's going to be set up, where maybe these contractors have been hunting for it for 20 years, and um, this is where they think it went. And, our, I guess, and we're going to see everything from Lindsay's point of view. I think so. Uh, she's definitely the focal point. Sorry, she's definitely the focal point in this story. And I'm not sure you know, how Chamza is going to be involved. I really don't know. There's one other thing that I, I missed, and I just now saw it. When they get invited by this gentleman, this mysterious character, to go out to the desert, uh, Chamza tells Linda, she mentions that the Americans are watching his home. That's all she says. So we don't know anything more than that. But he's under observation by, I'm assuming, the CIA or FBI or both. The neoconservatives. <laughs> Very likely. So. But I guess isn't everybody under surveillance by them? Uh, yeah, uh, depending on your point of view, I'm very likely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I think it's a very interesting setup. I kind of like it. It's kind of taking contemporary, um, you know, recent history. It's projecting out. It's not current day. It's projecting out into the near future. So um, it's 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 a great storytelling mechanism to kind of do the near future. I think that's a and I don't want to classify this as science fiction, but that's kind of like a lot of the science fiction that I kind of like now is the near future science fiction, the stuff that could actually, you think you could see in like five years. And so uh, right. this story seems to be uh, going along those lines. So it's very interesting from that standpoint. Again, we kind of talked about the art and the, and while we were talking about the drawings, what do you think about the coloring? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and it's, it's, I like political type thrillers. They, and this type of, approach to comics so it's intriguing to me so so I'm definitely interested in seeing where this goes so how is it a thriller you know that's one of the the one of the definitions i've always kind of um, struggled in my head about what describes a thriller well i guess to be quite honest that's probably a subjective term <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, how do you, I, I, that's sort of, I think that's probably, I just picked that, I just drew that out of my head somewhere from some reading it or hearing somewhere else. I don't know if I'd necessarily describe it as a thriller, but there's definitely political intrigue and, you know, espionage of type, of sorts. Well, a the, lot of politics in here. Uh, do you think it's like a little overbearing on European views of American politics? Or we haven't got to that part yet? I don't, not yet. It could go there. <laughs> well, you know, the only thing was that the question, you know, really was just the neoconservatives. 
I mean, you could say that it, it's somewhat critical of the Americans in, you know, them showing the waterboarding and, but those are pretty much established facts, you know, that, that the CIA, that the government did these type of things in Guantanamo. Mm-hmm. You know, they took these people and did not give them the standard due process that we normally give to people accused of certain crimes. So, well, it's due process if you're on American soil. Yes, that's true. And that's why you have Guantanamo. So I didn't, I didn't read anything in this issue that made it felt like, oh, here's especially because you could get very <laughs> um, prejudicial about how, especially with how French and American relationships go, because we definitely have, as a, as countries, countrywide, we definitely seem to have different approaches to the way we look at things politically. Oh, definitely. So, so what do you think about the near future technology? How do you like, like the interchangeability of vehicles? I found that, being an, an engineer, I found that fascinating. It was intriguing. It was, yeah, very... Um, Definitely, kind of stuff. You, cinematic, I think, is a good word. The kind of stuff you see in films, and you know, James Bond type. Well, yeah, it was, it was, it was the reveals. I mean, kind of like in American comics, what happens is, is like, you know, I'm going to pick on Marvel. If this was like that, you know, you'd have Tony Stark bragging about, okay, now I'm going to have my car and it's going to hook up to this aircraft, and da da da. We're going to go suborbital and be in Dubai in 12 minutes. And in, in this comic, it just. You know, it's just a matter of fact, the Chasma, Chamza, right? Chamza, yeah. And it, and, you know, it's not overbearing. It just kind of happens, and it's just revealed as the story goes along. And it's kind of revealed as Lindsay, who has never been exposed to this kind of wealth, is a, a, is a, or kind of figures things out. Right. I mean, for me, I... the best part was when they when it was revealed that the car they were in had been hooked into a into a plane, and they were already in flight. Yes, I had to go back. I had to turn, the, flip the page back, and reread that because I, <coughs> I missed that reading it. And I was like, "When? How did they get from here to there?" And then I reread it. And it was like, "Oh, it was just sort of a, some sort of exchange." I don't know. Yeah, that that kind of technology and gadgetry is interesting, and I don't see that there was anything that's probably that far in the future. I'm sure the technology for like suborbital flight is. Well, I know it is, I, you know, but it's usually relegated to strictly military purposes. But I don't know why. If you have enough financial resources, I think you could probably <laughs> uh, acquire that sort of technology if you wanted to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think it exists. It's just kind of really expensive right now. It's not practical. Plus, you got to have the infrastructure to support it. One thing I saw that um, I thought was pretty clever and especially given the fact that this was two th knowing that this was 2007 it, it shows in that couple of scenes panels where they're at that protest mm -hmm. you see some drones flying overhead yeah you're right there was i mean that's why i didn't realize it was written in 2007 again just to reiterate that i thought it was something that he maybe was written in 2015 2016 and drawn because yeah you, there's right. the drones there i mean this is 2007 they're talking about drones uh, the vehicles aren't driving themselves, but you know they—they they certainly look like they might could be electric vehicles or not petroleum-based. 
um, interchangeability and in modes of transport. Um, it seems to be a lot of digital uh, currency wealth exchange. You never see her really paying for anything. It's just almost like it's automatic or on a, like a smart card or something. Yes, or I I kind of got the impression, especially when they're in Dubai, that this woman is well known, and simply her face is her her credit card. <laughs> it's like okay, there's Chamza, you know, just do whatever she asks. And well, I do think they went to that one store and they tried on everything but didn't buy anything. And Lindsay was just making a comment about that, and Chamza was like, eh, "Yeah, I do it all the time." Well, yes, but I'm sure she does and eventually spend <laughs> plenty of money. Because... So, yeah, but the all of that's really intriguing. I'm I'm really interested in considering where this is going. And it's uh, on the back cover, it says this is number one of ten. So there's going to be ten issues in this series. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, let's see, um, the next issue looks like it's got a picture and they're on a, it looks like a space station. They're in orbit. And Yes, there's a little two-page kind of teaser for the next issue, and it says the hunt begins. So, and that I'm would, not sure what all is going to travel. That kind of insinuates that our CIA operatives will be making another appearance. Oh, I think that's yeah, a foregone conclusion that we're going to see yeah. the American intelligence community or military or both. Yeah, but but I will say that the the printing of this was very nice. I mean, it's got like a it's a cardstock, a, a very slick cardstock, and um, high quality paper on the interior. And it seems like a lot of publishers outside the big two are starting to do that. You know, these little independents and small press people. Uh, publishers they're really going for the really nice um stock and I'll, i will say this book popped on the rack with that nice glossy cover well i think part i, I may be i'm just a, this is speculation i think also with some of this i think they're trying to satisfy the collector You know, people that are that are in the collect, especially number one issues. Like mm -hmm. I know with uh, Vault Comics, they're doing the same thing. They're pre producing high quality books you know, with the same kind of heavy card stock, head cards, heavy covers, and nice paper. And their number one issues are all selling out. Yeah, I also know that uh, there was some buzz several weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, that because Heathen was hot hot then. Uh, and that was like the first thing coming out from Vault, and they were people were getting the books graded, and they were coming back nine nines and tens. Yeah. And so, it it almost seems like if you, it doesn't matter what the book is, if it's a number one and you can get a nine nine or an, or a ten from a CGC grading, it's like there's a certain set of collector that'll buy that just because, you know, in the past those books were rare when you had the, you know, like the current. Uh, stock of paper you get on your mainstream books. It's very difficult to get a nine nine or a ten. They're they're very rare, and those go no matter what the book is, it goes for a premium. And now you can get these you know indie presses, so they can get these nine nine and ten books, and they get the press for it. And 
you know, they start people start buying them off the rack because they think they can submit them and, and get those grades. But, True, and I haven't seen the numbers, but I'm thinking these have got to be fairly small print runs, certainly compared to Marvel or DC or oh, oh definitely. But I also think they're starting. You know, you're starting to hear people say like books are three ninety nine or four ninety nine, and it's like, why am I paying this? And you know, mentally, you kind of get a you feel better about spending that money when you get this you know high quality glossy cardstock cover. And these, you know, the nice paper and the the art on the interior, you kind of seem feel like you get more of your money's worth. I mean, this issue is three ninety nine, so it's standard off the shelf, but you get from a quality standpoint way more with this book than you would with a three ninety nine from DC or Marvel. Right. And of course, now for myself, I'm not a speculative collector. I collect things because I like them and want them. My attitude is I would. This is nice, but I'd just assume they go back to newsprint and take the price down to two ninety nine. <laughs> I'd rather see it. I can buy more comics that way. Uh, I remember when newsprint was like a dollar or a dollar twenty five a well book. That's true, but I other than what Alterna's doing, which they're doing at a dollar and dollar fifty for their newsprint, I wouldn't expect them to do that industry wide. But I mean, if they would go back, if they would do something like that and go back to two ninety nine, that would make a big difference. Well, what if they offered two options? I remember back in the day when uh, when the industry was doing that transition from the the paper stock to the and I forget what the technical term is for this this acid free. It's acid free papers basically. You could buy the regular news or uh, pulp uh, newsprint version. And they'd have them both on the – they'd be exactly the same except for the paper quality, except I think the better quality uh, paper was like 50 cents more or a dollar more. Right. You know, now, now if they offered both – so say – so so let's go down that road a little bit. So if they, they offered the same book, no, the same cover, same art and everything, but it was different paper stock and there was a price difference in it, would you go for the cheaper version? I, for me, I think I would have to look at it on a case-by-case basis. If it was something that I really wanted a high quality of, or if I really thought, yeah, this number one might be worth something. Somebody, if I, especially if I get a 9-9, I might do it. For most of my comics, though, I would go with a cheaper route, personally. Okay, unless it was Batman. Even Batman, I would do that. I think. <laughs> now, unless it was the new, uh, the upcoming White Knight with uh, Sean Murphy, I would go okay. the high quality stuff on that. <laughs> well, I guess you, I guess there's a comparison out there right now. It's kind of like you get All Star Batman versus regular Batman. You know, the, the All Stars like. What prestige format five ninety nine a month? I think it's four ninety nine. It may be five ninety nine now. I don't I don't get that one, so I don't. Well, you know that kind of makes the makes the point right there. Well, I wasn't getting it for more. Well, there's a couple of reasons. The price point was part of it, but I was just. Well, first off, the first arc of it. The artist was John Romita Jr., which I 
don't like, who I don't like at all. As an artist. So I was like, I'm not paying $4.99 an issue for John Romita Jr. artwork. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it in feel like I had any personal integrity so <laughs> I did buy I did buy actually I bought one it's the I forgot what issue it is and Tula Lote did the cover and I really like her especially the covers that she does so I bought that issue just to have it all right well I guess to bring back things to Lionforge how do you, how, and we kind of mentioned at the start you know how they've got their different imprints Right. So, so, what do you think about that strategy? I mean, um, I mean, I, I mean, we we both like Catalyst Prime, and you know that's an imprint. And I didn't, you know, that's and I wasn't kind of interested in reading any of the other Lion Forge. And then you kind of talked me into this, and I was like, crap, there may be some other Lion Forge I need to check out. Yeah, actually, I picked up three issues today, the first three issues of Jazz Maynard. It's also, it's another foreign comic. I don't know where, somewhere in Europe. I don't know the specifics of it. It's also part of this magnetic collection imprint. And uh, that, and there's another book that a couple people have mentioned in our Facebook group, Aberato, mm-hmm. and I think it's a it's also a fiction, uh, French comic. It's a six issue mini that they're releasing right now. That looks interesting. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna start taking a closer look at Lion Forge because I like what they're doing, and they've been around for several years, but nobody's really taken notice of them. And I think you mentioned once that even in St. Louis, where Lion Forge is based. You haven't noticed that much of a presence of Lion Forge comics in shops. No, no. My LCS, they, they had the first issue of Noble up there, um, prominently displayed by the cash register. And after that, you know, they've just been kind of hit and miss on their other books. I've been to a few few other comic shops in town and be able to, you know, one of the bigger chains. We have a chain in local to St. Louis called the Fantasy Shop, and there's like, the guy's got like four or five different stores. So they get a lot, he gets a lot more independence and uh, variety since he has several stores to spread it out amongst. And that's kind of where, if I don't see it at mine, I kind of go there and check it out and see some stuff. Right. But yeah, I figured there'd be a little bit more. I mean, they're getting the books, but I figured there'd be a little bit more presence on the. You know, in the shops, you know, some kind of, hey, local local company, local artist, local writer or something. And part of that, I would have, I'd be questioning how much is Lion Forge itself reaching out? You know, if they're not, if they're not trying to, you know, make themselves like, for example, you know how Valiant is mm-hmm. with uh, Dinesh and everyone. They're at all the cons. They... They get on Twitter. They're very accessible. You know, they want you to, to ask them questions. They want you to talk to them. And I don't know that Lion Forge has done that. Yeah, I don't think it doesn't Lion appear that they're doing that. I don't think Lion Forge even has a website. I think they have a Facebook page. They do have a website now. I don't think they did it first. Okay. Well, I know I know Magnetic Press, which is doing Ghost Money, has a website. 
Uh, right, but there is one that, like, I went out to Lion Forge, and then if you click on Ghost Money, it takes you to that magnetic press. What links over to another website. But there is a lionforge.com now. Oh, I see it. The pride is growing. Uh, I love marketers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's no question, or very little question in my mind, that they're rolling the hard six with Catalyst Prime. This is what they're trying to make it. Th this is their breakout. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get, you know, and they're doing a pretty good job with it so far, s seemingly, just from the people that I talk to, and I think you talk to the same, basically yeah. the same group of people. Actually, didn't they just have a new book hit earlier this week? Uh, just yesterday, uh, Catalyst Prime Incidentals number one came out. Yeah, and I guess that's the one thing we got to be clear. It's like in previews and everything. It's not by the. It doesn't. They're not under the title of the book. They're under Catalyst Prime, and then the name of the, the book. And I guess they did that to kind of keep them together. That you know, I've been wondering about that. But if you, if you start them all off Catalyst Prime, then if you're getting one, you're going to see the others because they're all going to be right there in a row. Except my local comic shop is is putting them in displays based on the <laughs> name. So Excel, you're going to find that first. And then you've got to go down to look at the shelf to find Noble because it's under all the other N books. And Superb is over by the S's. So I don't. It's so much confusing. Yeah, I know the shop I go to for them is like, I was trying to do that and I couldn't find it. So, oh, they're under the C's because it starts with Catalyst Prime. So oh, and that's the way it's that's the way they're listed in previews catalog. It's Catalyst Prime Noble, Catalyst Prime Excel. There's they don't just list the the name of the individual book. You know, it's Catalyst Prime, whatever. So, which is smart for Lineforge because in like in the previews catalog, everything's going to come together. You're going to see all that in one big block. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an intelligent way of doing it. I just you know my local shop owner just is doing it the other way yeah you know and i was actually reading something uh, a couple of days ago they were talking about incidentals come out and they were commenting about the good stuff coming out of uh lion forge and they made the comment just like this feels like 90s valiant i've been wondering i've been waiting for somebody to make that comparison or say because it it does you know, it's a brand new shared universe, superhero universe. So, it kind of shares that with Valiant. Uh, the main difference being that these are, I believe, these are all new, brand new characters. They didn't license characters like Jim Shooter did at Valiant originally. He didn't. Li he licensed the Gold Key characters from Western Publishing that had been around for years. But, I, but yeah, I it. I can see I can see that comparison. I can understand that comparison. Yeah, and you know, actually, now that you've taught me about their web page, it seems like they have a submissions page. So anybody that's got an idea, or a treatment, or a concept, or whatever, apparently you can submit it to Lionforge, and they might consider it. Of course, you gotta go through all the legalese. Right. Yeah, I would like to see. Well, we know there's been a couple of fairly well-known names that are associated. Christopher Priest did the writing on the the free comic book day intro issue. Um, there's a couple other names that are fairly well known that are escape, escape me. I don't have the books in front of me, so I don't, I can't remember the names. Yeah. The, I, I would like to see. Yeah. He did the catalyst prime free comic book day, didn't he? Yes. 
their introductory, which introduced the event, which is uh, kind of central. Yeah, I mean, I look at the names for them, and you got Priest there, and the only other name I really recognize is like Joe Casey for Excel. And he's yeah, I think that's doing, the only other name I know. And he's yeah. also doing incidentals and keynotes. So you've got the one writer doing three of the books. So those will probably be tied together pretty good. So I'm hoping that eventually they'll attract other talent, maybe some bigger names. I'm sure they would like to get some name, somebody with name recognition. Yeah, but, but, I, I, but I do like their idea of trying to get, you know, because you see like the booms and uh, IDW, they're going to take like movie properties or other TV properties here in the U.S. and do a comic book treatment. I kind of like this idea of maybe getting some popular European books and converting them here for the U.S. market because, you know, Ghost Money is pretty good. Was the, um, what was that other one you were reading, Max, or Jack Main? Maynard? Jazz Jazz Maynard. Jazz Maynard. Now, is that is that a f- another foreign book? It is. I don't know. Well, I know it's European. I don't know if it's French or not. I don't. I don't. Don't have it in front of me, and I don't recall seeing. So that's a, that's an interesting way of getting, you know, kind of standing out from the other publishers. And I'm wondering also if that's uh, financially beneficial. In other words. Is it cheaper? Are they paying less to license this comic book than ha- they would have to pay creators to create original material? Yeah. Well, the other thing too is what's what's the one gripe against small press publishers or independent publishers? Uh, the biggest they gripe. The irregular release schedule. Yes. And if they're doing this, these are already in the can, and they can. Release them every month, and nobody's going to be disappointed. Like a Black Mask, uh, you know, every other Image title. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. <laughs> well, I think Vaults had a few problems are. too. Yeah, some. Nothing. Nobody's as bad as Black Mask in the, my experience, but they all, I think, suffer a little bit of that, especially if they get a creator who's also doing work for Marvel or DC. Because in that case, who's going to get priority? It's obvious. You know, they're going to go for, you know, they're going to, the creators are going to give priority to their work at Marvel or DC. Oh, that's what's paying the bills. Well, yeah, I don't blame it. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that, you know, if you see that, that's, that's always something I, Notice if I say, okay, this creator, he's also writing, um, you know, another one is like Donnie Cates, who's writing a lot of good independent stuff right now. He's doing Baby Teeth for Aftershock, a couple of titles he's been working on with Image, but he's just signed a deal for Marvel. He's going to be doing Thanos and Doctor Strange. (laughs) So that's the question that comes into mind. It's like, okay, how's his independent creator own stuff gonna is he still gonna be as prolific and do as much there when he's doing two fairly prominent titles for Marvel well I guess it's how disciplined you are and you know how the ideas flow I mean look at how many books is Matt Kent writing and I don't think any of them are late um, the list of books that Matt Kent 
isn't writing is shorter than the list of books that he is writing. Right, because, <laughs> I mean, have you have you seen any delays in Department H? No. Have you seen any delays in the Valiant books he writes? No. Exactly. So, you know, it, oh. it, may be on, it may be dependent on the writer. And I don't even think his Department H, it's not like he's writing three issues, taking a month or two break, th- writing three issues. I mean, it's been every month. Right. Yeah, I think there's a lot to say about the discipline. Uh, Lemire is another one. Lemire is writing all manner of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's all the, the breaks that they have, like Descender, he writes Descender for Image. And they're on a, they do an arc and then take a two or three month hiatus. But that's announced, you expect that, you know that going in, that this is what they're going to do. And that's, that's different in my way of thinking than just, okay, here comes issue five. Issue six will be out at some point, nebulous date in the future. <laughs> but you don't know. So Well, but it is a pleasant surprise nine months later when it's on the shelf. And you're like, <laughs> oh, man, I haven't seen this in a while. That's true. Is that how you think about the, Southern Bastards? Uh, yeah. Southern Bastards is so good that it, it kind of gets a pass with me. <laughs> um, same way with Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets comes out. Who knows when? Yeah, but that it's that you know is gonna be. It's just whenever it hits. Yeah, it's always been that way. And they've got thirty-five. That's been around for thirty-five years, nearly thirty-six years. So I mean, they've they've earned the right to you know. But like I say, you know, and it's because it's been that way for most of their run. So you just learn to expect it. Well, that's kind of like back in my days of Poison Elves. It's like, that wasn't monthly. It, you got an issue every two months. Maybe you get it two months in a row, then they'd skip a couple. You need to get an issue, then it'd be three months. You need to get an issue. So it depends on the expectations, I guess, is, that is set. And when you sit there and you put out the first three issues and then you wait however many months for the fourth that's when you kind of turn people. And I don't know. What were the expectations that were set with Black Mask? Well, that's one of the things that kind of got me crossways with them was had they just come out and say, these are going to be on an infrequent schedule. But you would go to their website and they would have their release schedule. It's on a sidebar on their web page. And they would say, you know, August 22nd, something such is going to be released. And then that date would come and it would go and then a week, and then three weeks, and then seven weeks, and then four months, and, that, and you still don't have it. That's what, to me, that's what annoys people and puts people off is you say it's going to be out on this date, and then it doesn't. And then you put out another date, and it misses that date. That's where you start. That's where I get like ready to, all right, forget that. I'm not investing any more time or money in something when I don't know when it's coming out. If I'm expecting that, infrequently then that's one thing but you, you tell me a date and then you don't meet it that's not good <laughs> you've set yourself well, up for failure well just think about that in business i mean in anything you you got a project you're working on and you've got a due date and you said i will have this done by this date and then you don't people are going to be a little miffed about it <laughs> So that's my mini tirade for the evening. Uh, well, there we go. 
All right, so we've talked a bit about Ghost Money. We've talked a bit about Lion Forge. We've kind of wandered off into some other companies and brought ourselves back. So maybe it's about time we need to, to wind this episode down. I think so. Um, so we didn't talk about yeah. We didn't talk about uh, beverages tonight, but I'm only drinking iced tea, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, me either. I'm not drinking tonight either because I got a couple of phone calls to make after this, and they're more professional in nature. So I figured I ought to be appropriate for them. We'll make it. We'll make it up next episode. Yes, we will. Speaking of which, um, I was thinking next episode. I think the next previews is coming out next week. It's the last Wednesday of the month, so it should be out. So we've been talking about doing an episode where we just kind of go through previews and talk about what we see in there. Yeah, we could try that and see how it is, how that format goes. You know, because, you know, there's a lot of comics out there. I mean, you know, uh, and, you know, you know, some of the stuff... You know, I don't think it's going to be interesting, and somebody recommends it to me, and I wouldn't have thought of trying it, and it's like, wow, this is pretty good, and I think it's the same way your way. So it's kind of be nice to kind of like go through and kind of work through the process of how we figure out, you know, what's interesting. Oh, I wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole, and you know, just there's some other stuff, and just kind of uh, switch things up a bit. I agree. So I'd like to do that. So. But we'll tentatively say that'll be our next episode. Of course, if uh, if it's like Mike Myers, we could sit there and, and take five hours to go through the previews. Well, I think Mike Myers just um, looks at previews and says, "I'll take two of everything." Oh, this just starts checking down the boxes down the down the order sheet. Yes, I think <laughs> I think I'm I'm I believe that Mike Myers is partially responsible for the financial success of DCBS. I think if he missed a month, they would, uh, they might fold. <laughs> Go out of business. <laughs> anyway, one thing we need to be better about doing, I noticed on our last episode about giving our contact information. Oh, so, our contact info. So where can they reach us? They can reach me at, on Twitter at, at J forgets. Dennis, you are at, at U-T-E-N-G-R. Yep, that'd be me. You also reached the podcast at, at B-O-T-R Comics. Or you can see, get, send us an email on at, at B-O-T-R Comics at gmail.com. Yeah, I've been trying to get better at checking Twitter and things like that. I just, you know, I guess that's the this newfangled technology that these young'uns are using that I can't quite figure out. I'm trying. I'm looking at it pretty regularly. And, oh, and by the way, I went out to Hipst- Hipcast, which is the service that we use for Nerdy Legion. And we're over the last 30 days, this podcast we're averaging about 250 to 300 downloads per day. Yeah, but Open Bar does 30,000. So, do you really believe those numbers? It's, I looked at that, and it's not 30,000. That's <laughs> that's just Ronnie's uh, wishful thinking. Ronnie, that's a couple of beer-induced zeros he added to that number, I think, on there. So. Well, a zero is nothing, so it's not really adding anything. <laughs> so it's not 30,000, or, or at least HipCast is not showing it as that. But uh, So he would like it to be 30,000. Anyway. All right, so go out and get Ghost Money. We highly recommend it. And check, yes. out, check out other stuff from Lion Forge. I'm actually... Uh, intrigued by them, and I may just have to go by and stalk their office building and see what's what's going on there. That would be good. 
Well, you could do one of the podcasts from there. You know, get them to give you a conference room. <laughs> or I'm sitting out in the parking lot just uh, watching Adam podcasting. That works as well. <laughs> well, I think we're going to call it a night, so bye yes, from I've... Ud Inger. Good evening, everyone. Yeah, you know, you know, this part of the internet is only really going to work if we be wisely, 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 wis